start every conversation with nothing trumps mission? Yes. Or something like that. Customer first, mission first, nothing trumps mission success. Now let's talk about the decision we have to make. No, we don't have to be the cheapest and we don't aim to be the cheapest. We're launching the most critical missions. So for example, if you're going to go to Mars like we are this summer with Mars 2020, if you miss that launch window, the next one is two years away. If you're going to Pluto and you miss that one, 250 years. This is the Proco 360 podcast, connecting people who love Colorado with stories and lessons of Colorado's world-class leaders and entrepreneurs. I'm Dave Tabor. All my guests believe that Colorado is different, that success feels different here. That's why Proco 360's tagline is live, work, love Colorado. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Tori Bruno, president and CEO of Colorado's own United Launch Alliance. The company has placed more than $70 billion worth of satellites into orbit, and its rockets are responsible for the world's most important space missions. ULA is harnessing the potential of space for humanity, and it's an honor to interview Tori Bruno. Tori started his career as an aerospace engineer and will be delving into how, now as CEO, he leads a company that delivers massively expensive missions with the directive to, and I quote, manage value through certainty. It's amazing. All 138 missions have been successful, and we're going to talk a lot about how you manage into that kind of success. So, Tori, with that opening, thanks for being on Proco 360. Oh, Dave, I'm thrilled to be here. I, it's... Um, I've been really looking forward to this, and I guess we should set the stage by having you explain a quick overview of United Launch Alliance, and we'll talk about ULA quite a bit. Oh, happy to. So we are the world's premier launch service provider, and what that means in plain English is we build rockets, gigantic 20, 30-story high rockets, and we touch your life every single day. Well, speaking about touching your life, one of the the things, and your mission talks about well, here is your mission. Save lives, explore the universe, connect the world. It sounds like you could add the Star Trek phrase, boldly go where no man has gone before. But let's talk about each of these. So starting with save lives, how does ULA save lives? Well, if you have a friend or a loved one who is overseas in harm's way, perhaps with the U.S. military, we are helping to keep them safe. We have put up the communication systems that allow them to call for help when they need it or know what's around them. If you live on the coasts, for example, maybe out in Florida where there's hurricanes, current generation of weather satellites, which, by the way, are built by another company here in Colorado. That's one of the neat things about this circle of space here in Colorado. We put all of those up, and they are now offering an order of magnitude more precision in tracking severe storms. Cool. Now, exploring the universe. Uh, You're launching rockets. I suppose that's self-explanatory, but what else should we know? You should know that almost all of the very difficult marquee missions for NASA that explore our solar system and beyond are launched by ULA. We have been to every planet in the solar system. We have been to Mars 20 times, Mm. 20 times this summer with the Mars 2020 rover that we're going to fly. That's so cool. And is that uh, basically what we saw in the movie, The Martian? Well, very similar, <laughs> but it's a rover. There's no yeah. people there yet. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then last, connecting the world. Yes. Yeah, so we, for our commercial customers, as well as our national security space customers, put up the communication infrastructure that we rely on every day, making this world smaller and more connected. Yeah. Everything GPS related, soon there'll be, uh, I mean, there's there's more and more data being delivered via satellite now too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 
so, all right, those are three good examples. And as I think about sort of appreciating the role of space, what should those of us who are not involved in the aerospace industry sort of appreciate more about the role of space, the importance of space exploration, and the kinds of the things that you facilitate through Rocket Launch? Yes, I would want people to understand that space has become the utility of their lives. They're not aware of it, but if they use GPS, we made that happen. If they check the weather to see if it's going to snow tomorrow, that comes from space. If they use an ATM, it mm. comes from space. So what's coming next that we haven't seen yet, but maybe is on your horizon? Oh, there's a very exciting future in store for us. As you know, we're going back to the moon with people for the first time in over 50 years for a permanent presence. So not just boots mm -hmm. and flags, mm -hmm. but an actual continued presence. So what's the value of having people on the moon? Seriously, I mean, I get it. There's, there's a lot of stories about how space... Um, exploration yielded all kinds of products, the microwave and other kinds of technology. But what's the value of having people on the moon? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> we are on the very threshold of a whole new human era. There is tremendous natural resources on the moon and on the near-Earth objects, asteroids that are mm -hmm. within reach of the moon that we know today, that we didn't know before, yeah contain an abundance of natural resources so much that it defies human imagination. More gold, more silver, more platinum than has ever been extracted in the entire history enough, of humanity. Enough to make it worth sending rock? There must Absolutely. Be, we're not going to be strip mining the moon, are we? No. <laughs> so. so the thing that's new, that it makes it practical, not just knowing that it's there, yeah. is the fact that we've discovered water everywhere. Water is everywhere in the solar system, and water is also rocket fuel. And the presence of propellant mm. already in space that we don't have to lift there from Earth yeah. now makes this practical. So then, conceptually, you could be launching deep space flights from the moon because you don't have to bring fuel to leave orbit. Is exactly. That, huh. That's pretty cool. All right. So we could talk a lot about space for a long time. That's not what we're going to do for the rest of this conversation. <laughs> okay. I want to talk about the thing that that really fascinates me um, about you and about leadership and about ULA is how you manage the business and the certainty and those kinds of things. First, as we go there, I want to, before I even get into the management piece, I want to talk a little bit about the vision to harness the potential for space for humanity. Is that kind of what we've been talking about up until now, this future of space for humanity? Yes, it is. I mean, we've gone through an era where space is now touching every part of our lives. Yeah. But as we go forward, you're going to see this great democratization of space where we tap the resources, where we manufacture things in space we can't make here, where yeah. ordinary people live and work in space. Do we want to democratize space or don't we want to own it as a country? Well, if we own it, it will be democratized. I guess, you're, you know, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. but I get, And it's also a big defensive move, right? I mean, that's the whole thing with Space Force and all that, because ultimately uh, defense and other kinds of, you mentioned manufacturing, natural resources, those are going to be available to whoever gets there and whoever controls it. That's so, correct. Huh. All right. Speaking of control, I will shift gears now to sort of how you manage you list several values. You, you talk about being mission-focused, ingenious, inclusive, and ethical. I think we get sort of what mission-focused means. What's you know, not a lot of people talk about ingenious, being ingenious in their values. What's that mean for you? Well, it means giving our people permission to be creative 
and to come up with new ideas that will actually change the future of space. So here's the thing. When you talk about, about new ideas and giving people freedom to be creative, we talk about that a lot in software. And if it doesn't work, mm-hmm. it breaks. But if you talk about it, if, if you're too creative when you're launching a rocket, right, that's not you – know, how do you balance that? Well, it's a very different picture for us because the payloads we take, as you point out, it might be a billion-dollar one-of-a-kind asset. It might be people. That starts this year when we finally return Americans to space from American soil. So you have a very, very sophisticated way of managing risk so that you can push the envelope while still delivering, in our case, 137 perfect missions. Well, we're going to talk a lot more about how we manage that, how you manage that balance. First, though, I want to remind listeners, this is the award-winning Proco 360 podcast. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring leaders and entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Tori Bruno, president and CEO of United Launch Alliance. Thanks to our sponsors, Community Banks of Colorado, MicroStar Keg Logistics, Kinsley Meetings, Total Coaching Systems, and the law firm of Holland & Hart. These great companies support Colorado businesses and entrepreneurs, and they support this show. Thanks also to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for its support for me and Proco360. Now, I want to dig into my the biggest question I had going into this interview, which is, and forgive me because it's a bit long and I'm going to look at my notes, there are some recent and really high-profile situations in which large companies have had product failures, whether it's airbags, helicopter fuel tanks, aircraft. These appear to have been caused by decisions to optimize speed or profits over safety and certainty. And regardless of whether the decisions originated from the very top or somewhere else in the organization, let's talk about leading a large company so that this doesn't happen. So, in fact, a message from ULA is all about creating value through certainty. So, how do you manage for certainty? You bet. So obviously, we have brilliant rocket scientists and great products. That's sort of a given. The rest of it is about culture. At ULA, nothing trumps mission success. It's a business, but it's more than a business, and everybody thinks about that every single day. Nothing trumps mission success. Okay, I get that. And if everyone believes that and buys into it, that I could see where that would be. But, you know, as as the CEO, I mean, ultimately – costs drive some decisions, right? I mean, are you, are you saying that mission success outweighs no matter what anything costs, no matter, you know, if you're going to add a five more decimal places of certainty, you know, is that worth any amount of money? How do you figure that out? No, it's not worth any amount of money. We add as many decimal places as we need with our experience and our depth of expertise to know that we are delivering a very high probability of success to our customer. But when that comes into conflict with, could we get a little bit more money? Could we make a little bit higher profit? Could we do something like that at the expense of what we know through our 137 missions of experience is actually going to put our customer at more risk or unnecessary risk? We don't do it. Conversation stops. Well, I think, okay, so how do you decide? Like, is it when you, when you talk about any amount of risk, and look, I'm not doubting you because you've had 137 straight successes. So not doubting it, it's incredible. How do you decide when another million dollars is not is going to add one thousandth of a percent success versus, I mean, how do you balance yeah, yeah. that? So it really is rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not, uh, it's not as 
as unsophisticated as just these sort of absolutes. Could you make it safer? Well, probably. But eventually, you have to acknowledge that anytime you launch a rocket, anytime you go to space, there is risk. And so what is acceptable and how do we manage it? We have as much science around understanding risk and mitigating and managing it as we do around propulsion and yeah. spaceflight. So do you ever... I, it must happen. It must happen in, in confer, uh, conversations that like, yeah, we could add, you know, we could make it this much safer. We could make it this much more reliable. Ultimately, you must have figured out the magic answer because you've had nothing. And I don't want to jinx you here, but but you've had 137 successes in a row, right? So never a failure. So you must have figured that out differently than the companies that are, are failing in those risk assessments. So a lot of it certainly is our experience. In the very systematic approach we take to risk, it's not a gut feel. It's not just our experience over the years. We quantitize it, we measure it, we baseline it, and we measure yeah. from that. But again, it is under the pressures of business. And I yeah. got to tell you, there you know this, you are always under pressure to deliver more, to deliver faster. When you've got a rocket on a launch pad with a spacecraft that's got to go to space, there's a lot of pressure to launch it, you know, whatever, tomorrow we're going to yeah. launch. But if we have a real question about mission success, that trumps it. Well, and that actually differentiates you from some of the up-and-coming competitors who are talking about cost savings and things like that. I mean, you're, you're really, your value proposition is certainty. It's not cost, right? And unless, unless you do the math and you multiply the cost times the probability of success and all of a sudden... You know, maybe that is an equation that your customers look at. Yes, that certainly is true. Now, I'm going to truth in advertising. I came to ULA almost six years ago to transform our company, a monopoly, if you will, launching exquisite payloads in relatively high price. Mm -hmm. So I've cut those costs in half while still maintaining our on-time record mm -hmm. and our high reliability because you can't pay anything to go to space. It still has to be affordable. Yeah, that's interesting, though, because is you figured out how to cut half. It wasn't all waste, right? Oh, no. So you must have been making some interesting decisions about where do we cut without r reducing reliability. Well, this is what the CEO job is all yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. So it's different than the rocket science. Yeah. We reduce the number of rockets that we offer, the different types, into a smaller oh, yeah, set. Yeah, We restructured our supply chain and brought more strategic partners into our world rather than just a large number of diffuse suppliers. Yeah, because when you could charge anything, I guess you really didn't have to figure those other aspects out. Well, and the business evolves yeah, over time, yeah, and yeah. sometimes you end up in a place that wasn't deliberate. Yeah, interesting. Cool. So when you, though, as CEO, want to make sure that there isn't some middle-level manager trying to second-guess what's a good use of resources and potentially decreasing the certainty levels. I mean, what do you, what have you seen or said or done very specifically that has made sure that people all the way down the line aren't misinterpreting what the boss has in his mind? So you do two things that are really, really important. You don't just make the decisions yourself, even when they're obvious. You do it as a team collaboratively where everyone gets a voice and you always start that conversation with the principles that we're going to adhere to. And that way, you're consistent, people understand, and you're present even when you're not there. Mm. So when you say, when you start with the principles, 
Do you start every conversation with nothing Trump's mission? Yes. Really? You say that every... It will, or something like that. Customer first, mission first, nothing Trump's mission success. Now let's talk about the decision we have to make. Wow. Yeah. So that contextualizes this idea that we had 137, we are going to have 138, and now let's talk about the decision. That's yes. cool. What's a specific example of a decision that you made with your team where that sort of lived itself? Uh, yeah, I'll give you a recent yeah. one. I'm not going to tell you which mission it was. Yeah, okay. Okay, but so here we are. We're going to go launch this spacecraft, and we have a very structured relationship with our customer. They've told us exactly what they need. You just don't throw a spacecraft on a rocket and blast it into space. These spacecraft are delicate, and they have to be handled very carefully and prepared. As we go to get it, to put it on a rocket, the customer says, oh, you know what? Here's a whole new set of requirements about how I need my spacecraft handled that I should have told you about two years ago, and I, I didn't, and now I'm worried about it. Mm. So if this were only a business, you'd have exactly two choices. You could refuse to move it until the contract is adjusted and you get paid for all that, or you could say, I have a contract, I'm moving it, I'm flying it, because I think you're being over, over careful. But at ULA, those were not two of our choices. Mm. Because mission trumps. Instead, we say, all right, you know better than we do what is important to your spacecraft. We're going to make sure you have success. We're going to accommodate your needs. We're still going to figure out how to launch you on time. And we're going to make all of this work. Wow. Yeah. Customer first. Hmm. And so your team, your whole team was involved in that process. Oh, yes. That's yeah. cool. So, Tori, I've been reading a lot on your website about the Centaur rocket. Right. Tell me about that. Yes. The Vulcan Centaur is our new rocket that will replace the rockets we fly today. More capable, more affordable, same reliability. And, and what's that going to cost? Like, what's it going to cost to launch a satellite using that new rocket? So we're not saying yet because we're competing right this very minute, but so much more affordable than it has ever been while still delivering the reliability and the schedule certainty. Well, do you have to be like, do you have to be the cheapest out there? Do you have like, is it a price thing? No, we don't have to be the cheapest, and we don't aim to be the cheapest. We're launching the most critical missions. So, for example, if you're going to go to Mars like we are this summer with Mars 2020, if you miss that launch window, the next one is two years away. Mm. If you're going to Pluto and you miss that one, 250 years. Wow. So the idea of choosing the launch provider isn't just a factor of cost, it's a factor of opportunity cost. If they miss the one for, for Mars, it's another two years to wait. If they miss the one for Pluto, it's 250 years. So you mm -hmm. get, so basically, you, I, if I'm doing the math right, you get to charge enough to, char, to, to profit from the extra reliability you're able to deliver. That's correct. And one more thing we didn't talk about yet, accuracy. We are the most accurate launch provider in the world. We hit a bullseye every time we put a spacecraft into space. And what that translates to is a more effective mission in a longer mission. Several of our science missions will last twice as long as their intended minimum because of the accuracy we wow. gave. Wow. And do customer, I would think your customers are so sophisticated that they can get that. That they could say, yes, ULA is 30% more or whatever, and we're going to get twice the life. It's worth it or whatever the numbers are, right? I mean, they, you're in a better place than a lot of businesses where their customers don't really, like they don't really value the difference. Yours are 
smart enough, right? To get it figured out. They are. We, we sell to very smart people. Yeah. <laughs> that ought to be your tagline, right? I like that. I like that. <laughs> cool. I want to remind listeners, this is Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs and leaders who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Tori Bruno, president and CEO of United Launch Alliance. Go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. And don't forget to rate Proco360 in your app when you finish this episode. All right, let's talk about, Tori, about how you went from, because you started your career as an aerospace engineer. Let's talk about how you became CEO or how you made that transition is actually more important. And, and to what extent, my first question is, to what extent, going from a, an aerospace engineer to CEO, to what extent do you have to become someone kind of different? Yeah. You know, I did spend the first 10 years of my career just being a rocket scientist. That's all I wanted to do. But what allowed me to first make that transition to leadership was my deep personal commitment to the missions that I served and realizing I could have a more profound effect as a leader than I could even as a just an individual contributor. When you're a CEO, it's a very different kind of thing. So you still have a product that's very technical, and so your technical background serves you, but it's all about the strategy. Running a business every day, making a profit, making payroll, being stable, while at the same time being able to look into the future and knowing what you have to do today to make your business viable 10 years from now. So when you think about what you had to learn or how to, you had to shift your mindset, what comes to mind, a very concrete, specific thing you had to learn to do differently or think differently? Yeah, trusting other people. Yeah. That's the first thing. So, you know, I, I am a very technical person, and uh, I'll give you a step halfway in between. I was the program manager for a missile defense interceptor a number of years ago, and so I developed this product, another rocket. I could afford to be very, very technical, to be involved in every important technical decision, mm -hmm. as well as the programmatics of this. But fast forward to being a CEO, you can't do that. So You're not checking the math anymore? I'm not checking the math. <laughs> I'm not making every decision. I'm knowing that I have people who have talent, putting them in the right jobs, and trusting them to do that kind of work so that I can do my job. Yeah. One of the I just finished reading uh, Steve Jobs' biography, and one of his main focus areas is to make sure that his company didn't degenerate from having all A players to having A players and then B players and then A and then B and then C. You know, as rocket scientists, how do you continue to keep that level of brain power as the company grows and has bigger mm -hmm. missions? And so you've got to give them challenging work to do so everyone's excited and engaged. you got to keep refreshing the workforce so that you're bringing people in because we're going to be at this a long time. Yeah in creating an environment where you encourage people to be challenged and learn and for the senior people to pass on their knowledge. Yeah. Well, when you say refresh, does what happens to the senior people? Eventually we are allowed to retire. Uh -huh. So do you see that happening in your industry? Oh yes. So is, and, and as you see that you're bringing young people in, are these, mm -hmm. uh, are these, uh, well-trained, um, engineers or are they brand new out of school? What's happening and what's your process? All of the above. Yeah. And lots of folks coming out of school, as a yeah, matter of fact. That's cool. And I would think Colorado has been useful for that, or are you getting it from all over the country? So we go all over the country, but we really love oh, Colorado. Good. I'd like uh, to hear that. I'm going to echo your plug that you just did a minute ago. I could be anywhere, and I do live love, and I wouldn't be anywhere else than Colorado. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Um, 
your missions and and one of the attributes of Colorado is collaboration and your missions are huge. And when I looked on, you know, did some research on your website about the missions, I mean, you often collaborate with some big companies and some big projects. A lot of my listeners are running smaller companies, starting companies. Are there, are there things to be learned or maybe even shied away from about the way big businesses collaborate versus the way, you know, little companies or startups collaborate? Yeah, there are. And I'll start with the things to shy away from. Okay, so big companies, if you let them, become bureaucratic just naturally over time. You don't have to let your big company be that way, but it's a natural force. Smaller companies are inherently more agile. Now, setting that aside, it's about collaboration. It always is. Even when you're a small company, you still need partners. You still need to collaborate with customers. You can learn that from the big company, even though as a small entity, it's easier to be more directive. Are, are big companies good at being collaborative? Oh, yes. it's Really? The, yes. Without, even with bureaucracy and everything else? They are in the aerospace industry specifically because this is actually a pretty small industry mm. without that many players in it. And so we all learn to work with each other. We know each other on a personal basis. Sometimes mm. we're at a, a supplier to a company that is our competitor who's <laughs> buying something from us. Yeah, yeah. So that's just, I mean, in fact, ULA is Boeing and Lockheed. Uh, put together to create United Launch Alliance. So, I mean, that's just, I guess, inherent in your industry. It is. That's cool. Um, shifting gears, you have a quirky thing in your background. You've written two books about the Knights of Templar and, uh, you know, what can be learned about their management and so forth. And um, listeners, I had to check this out, but the Knights of Templar was a group formed in the year 1118 to protect groups of pilgrims from Western Europe uh, who were traveling to the Holy Land. So, Tori, what is your fascination with this group? <laughs> Well, I'm sort of a history buff in my spare time. And when you are and you discover the Crusades, you find out that they are more Hollywood than Hollywood. Huh. I mean, there are noble ideas and base greed and there's there's sex, drugs and everything but rock and roll. And the Templars were a very unique organization within that world that were a sort of crack military troops, but also an international business. And so the books are about really how they ran the business side of that. So what... You know, when you think of the principles of how they ran a business that you think are so fascinating, um, what are a couple, two, three things that you, you think are worth sharing? Sure. Dedication to mission. Mm. So they were all about relevance. They were all about a higher cause, just like we are at ULA. Mm. What else? They were um, also very collaborative in the way we just talked about. So they had partnerships all over the globe. So you have people in Palestine doing their mission mission, but you also have farmers and millers and grain merchants and cloth people all the way up in Germany and France. Wow. That's, and what made you decide to write two books about this group? Well, the first one started out as an essay, and I got carried away. Uh, an essay for who? <laughs> uh, for an organization that's uh, one of these uh, UN non-governmental organizations. They love the Templars. Mm. They do charity works in the Middle East, and they wanted an essay on this topic. Mm. The second one was actually so that I could disconnect from work in the evening, really? spend a little time doing something else so I could get some amount of sleep before going in the next day. What do you mean? This is Writing is how you decompress? Yes. Wow. I've, uh, 
I don't know. I find I, I write blog posts and such, and there I try to keep them short. And who was it? Was it Mark Twain who said if I had more time, I would write you a shorter letter? <laughs> I, well, I don't know if that was him or just a tribute, but um, but still, writing is is sort of a relaxing exercise. Um, so you, are you know still exactly. doing it? Are you still doing that? I do, but no more books, yeah. just shorter stuff. I tried to I tried to write a book. I gave up. It the amount of work it takes to actually go through and edit and all that is just uh, no. So what else do you do for fun? I ride my horses and spend time with my family. Wow. What kind of horses? Quarter horses. Good for you. That's really cool. Um, you mentioned without my prompting about uh, having ULA lo- uh, located here in Colorado. What's that been? Uh, what's that meant for you? How has that been helpful or not for the company? Well, this is where we have our headquarters and our engineering center. So this is the largest concentration of rocket scientists anywhere in the world, right here in the south part of Denver down wow. in Centennial. We get a great workforce here. People love to live yeah, here. Yeah, they sure. love to work here. I love it. I moved here when I took the job out from California. I would not live anywhere else. So is, you know, there's a lot of talk about right now, Colorado is a hub for space, Space mm-hmm. Force, whether Space Force comes here or not. Um, is there anything we're missing? I mean, do we need, do we need different resources, different education? Do we need other things that will make ULA continue to thrive here? We need to continue creating the really positive business environment that very much values space. There's a very special thing here I haven't mentioned. I, I kind of alluded to it a moment ago, this circle I called it. So for example, here we are, ULA, preeminent launch service provider. We're going to fly the Sierra Nevada Dream Chaser vehicle. That is a cool looking ship. They're built right here. They use structures that are provided to them by Lockheed Martin, also based here, Lockheed Martin Space, one of my very uh, frequent customers. And of course, Ball Aerospace, another yeah. provider of satellites is here. Mm-hmm. So within this you know, big circle we draw around Denver, whole missions happen from start to finish. Yeah, yeah. As we wrap up and take a look at what ULA and what space is going to be doing going forward, what, what should we as non-aerospace people be looking to, to see in the next 10 years and even the next couple of generations that are really going to rock our world? You're going to see this great expansion into this, what we call the cislunar space between here and the moon, where commercial activity happens, industry comes off world. Come on, that tremendous sounds like, wealth. It sounds like science fiction. It is science fiction, but it's also going to be science fact within a decade or really? two. Really? We're, we're actually going to be seeing missions going to the moon, mining, people living there, working there. Absolutely. In 10 years. 10 years. Wow. What about in another. 50 years. More and more and more, and pretty soon heavy industry off the planet. Eventually, 30, 40 years, we'll, you will see orbital solar power generation that can put energy anywhere on the face of the earth inexpensively, completely changing the state of human dignity. Wow. That must make you pretty excited. It is very That's exciting. Cool. And it all happens. It all starts with the launch of a rocket. Yes, it does. Narrow highway to space. Ha. Huh. Well, what a great way to end. I think we'll wrap up right there. Tori, thank you so much. This has been an interesting conversation. And uh, it sounds like in your mind, unless something bad happens to me, I'm going to live long enough to see a lot of this cool stuff happen. Yes, you are. Well, excellent. Hey, I'm going to wrap up. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. And today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Tori Bruno, president and CEO of United Launch Alliance. Tori, really an interesting conversation. Thanks for sharing more about ULA. 
It was my pleasure. And listeners, thanks for joining me on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast and submitting a review. Thanks again to show sponsors, MicroStar Keg Logistics, Community Banks of Colorado, Kinsley Meetings, Total Coaching Systems, Holland and Hart, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. And a final thanks here to Mike at the 3rd and James Studios. That's the show. Live, work, love Colorado. Thank you.